I love it. So we're good back there? All right. So I'm on to the world, huh? All right. I'm just going to talk to the Spirit real quick. So uh, give me a second. Dear Heavenly Father, I just um, come to you in front of you and all your people. And I pray that you can help me to be a vessel of honor and a conduit for your word. Um, be with me in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. This week's Pew to Pulpit is brought to you by me, Randy Shepherd. Um, I... The weeks leading up to this have been interesting. So when I was asked to do this, I, I didn't... Um, it, it was fine. I was like, yeah, cool, I'll talk. No big deal. Um, what was tough was, what am I going to talk about? Because y'all are intimidating, not going to lie. Um, and so I started to study and put all these things together and what have you. And like the Spirit just was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Talk about your life. Because that's the story I wrote. That's the story. That's the paint, the picture that I painted. And I used you. That's what you need to tell them. And I was like, ah, I got something good for them. I'm going to go through Ecclesiastes. And I'm going to tell them what they should do and the time they should do it. And he just kept coming back going, no. I need you to, to write down what is already on your heart. Kicking and screaming. Um, I titled this this message "How I've Walked My Imperfect Faith Through My Life Cycle." Somewhere in the Bible, it says something about. Has anybody heard that before? I made an acronym. It's called Sib Isa. Somewhere in the Bible, it says something about. So you're going to hear me say that in this talk, and you'll know that that's what it's referencing to. Because I don't want to say that phrase 62 times. Okay. Um, we'll start off by saying <laughs> a quote from one of my favorite comedians who says, I cuss a little bit, but the Lord ain't done with me yet. Okay. Steve Harvey. Um, and that is true in my case. Um, I am not perfect. I am trying to perfect my faith in the days that the Lord has given me on this earth. Um, so I'd like this to be a little more interactive than normal. So if I say something that that you react to, say amen, raise your hand, give me a nod. Okay. Um, I just want to know that I'm reaching somebody that has quasi the same experiences that I do. And if I don't, then that's fine. I'll talk to myself. And I have no problem doing that. Okay. Zero. Um, let's be honest about expectations, though. I do not intend to give you any deep theological truths. Okay? I do not expect for you to walk out of here on a higher level of consciousness, confused. Um, that, that's just not, that's not me. I'm not there yet. Um, I simply intend on expressing how the Bible and our shared faith has guided and changed me throughout my years. Um, I love the fact that I'm doing this in front of the people that I do life to life with. You are my people. And this is my faith. Long, long ago, in a time where there was big hair metal bands and neon run ruled all fashion styles, there was a little boy 
Okay? He ran up and down the streets with his cousins and his friends um, and his siblings. And he went to church periodically with his parents. Um, his church was Sunlight Christian Center, which actually is down the hill a couple miles in the Orange Circle. It's a repurposed uh, movie theater, if you guys have ever been there. Um, and there's an organ, and they sing hymns, and they have tambourines. Um, there's an old New York preacher that preaches about, there's a Lord that loves you and has a plan for your life. And this little boy uh, sat in those seats and one day felt called and said the sinner's prayer and gave his life to the Lord. Now, sorry, I didn't want to read, so that's where this goes. He went to youth group, and youth group was the highlight of his week. And he played silly games, and he learned life lessons in a fun, interactive way. He would watch people pat their legs during worship time. They would raise their hands. They would have a heart attack. They would give goalposts. They would carry a baby. They'd wash the window. Okay? That was the church this little boy came from. And then there was Sydney. Sydney was a man that... I'm, I'm probably going to go out of picture here. Good for you. Would sit. And then when it was worship time, he popped up, grabbed his tambourine, and just went to town. Praising the Lord. And this little boy just watched this week after week, and he was like, wow, this is... I gotta, I gotta ask him. So he walked up to Sydney and he goes, Sydney, what are you doing? And he said, Boy, I'm praising Jesus. I'm showing Jesus how I'm gonna praise him in front of him. And the little boy was, Aren't you worried about what people are thinking? And he goes, Oh, no. It's it's all about God. I'm his child, and so are you. Don't let anybody hinder you from how you want to praise Him. Sydney went to be with the Lord a few years later. That stuck with the boy. Um, it was powerful. This boy went on to become a teenager and he, and he started to be convicted about his tongue. Now, I told you. I cuss a little bit. Okay, but he ain't through with me yet. He learned of Ephesians 4.29, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will, be, it will give grace to those who hear. So that sat on his heart. He went back and forth for years on what to say, when to say it, how to say it. Um, this, it would be a struggle. He worried about the future a lot, a lot, where he was going to go, what he was going to do. And then his life verse came to him. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That was fast forward. Another text came in Proverbs sixteen nine that says, The mind of a man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Um, and so the little boy was like, what does that mean? Um, and then his life first hit, which is Matthew six thirty four. And I know you guys all know all of these, but do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. So the boy was like, okay. I can do that. I'll just worry about today. 
These plus some purity text would be the foundation that would get him through his teenage years. That boy, that teenager, was me. I felt like a child of God. I just didn't know what that meant. I played sports and I got good grades. Um, I took an aptitude test that said I was not mechanically inclined. That's funny. I don't care who you are, that's funny. Um, I wanted to be an environmental lawyer. I wanted to go to Humboldt State University and save the spotted owl. I was going to be Larry H. Parker. I will fight for you. And I was going to fight for them. That was my plan. Had it all planned out. And then tragedy struck. Before the tragedy. I, um, I wanted to be a young dad, and I wanted to play college volleyball. Those were my heart's desires. So we're going to get back to that. Okay? But as a teenager, those were the things I wanted to do, and that made sense. The side note to that was I never dated in high school. <laughs> so I don't know how I was going to be a young dad because I never talked to the girls. Um, I was five foot ten, which is incredibly short for the men's collegiate volleyball world. So I was like, I'm probably never going to play. But God says, what are your heart's desires? And I was like, well, there they are. Good luck. Um, Psalm 37 <laughs> came into my life. And that psalm, which is the basis of this message, is delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do it. And I was like, I don't date, and I'm not tall, so good luck, because you got some work to do. So I kind of just threw that in his face. Thought I was cute. All right. Now tragedy. My brother was two years younger than me and was diagnosed with cancer when he was 15. He did a year of chemo, and he never got sick, which was unheard of. He lost his hair. But he never got sick. He taught himself guitar, and he was fighting a good fight. Everything seemed fine. The, uh, the doctors went for their yearly checkup, and he realized that the cancer had traveled to his lungs. And if it travels to the lungs, it can travel to the brain. And if it travels to the brain, then there's that. So they decided to do an experimental aggressive treatment to combat the disease. Unfortunately, it was too much for a 16-year-old's body. Everything started shutting down, and when I got the phone call from my mother that said, your brother needs you, get to the hospital. Angels had to be with me on that drive, because I know that I was on the shoulder at times of the freeway, but I got there. As I got there, the minister was walking out of his room, and then in walked the father, because my mom wanted to cover our bases, <laughs> so she had everybody in there. And um, my brother proceeded to tell about a dream that he had the night before. And the dream was of this garden, and it was Jesus with his arms out. And he had just eerie detail. And I was like, cool. Then the father said, I want to do a blessing for you, son. And so he brought out his saints cards. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. and They've got... They all look like playing cards, but they're like tarot, and there's different saints, and there's different verses. And Anyway. 
he brings out this, this card to do a blessing for my brother. And as he flips it over, there was a picture. And my brother shouted out, that's it. That's the picture. That's what I dreamt. So to me, it was, to me, it was a sign. Jesus was saying, I'm here. I'm right here. My brother went downhill in the next two days. Stuff just started shutting down. Um, so I asked for everybody to leave the room. I wanted to be alone with him and my sister. I kneeled down next to my brother's ear. And I asked him um, if I can do anything in the world, anything at all, what would it be? And I expected him to say, join the Marines. Because that's what he wanted to do. And he didn't. He couldn't speak at that time. He lost all of his functions, but he could write. He grabbed a pencil and he wrote two words. And those words were follow God. And I told him that I will. That was the last form of communication I had with my brother. I know that different texts mean different things and that these meanings will change throughout maturity. But this next text is special. Philippians 1.3 reads, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, and the part that everybody knows, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. My brother met Jesus in that garden. He fought his race, and he finished what was asked of him, and he was brought home. I was at a crossroads in my life, and I had to make a decision, go away to college, or be with my family during this incredibly tragic time because it was a month before I graduated high school. And I had my own plans. I figured what I was going to do. There was no way I was going to leave my family because now everything was about relationships, not my plans. So I stayed. Um... I moved to Riverside to be with my mom and my sis, emotionally, financially. I became an electrician, so much about not being mechanically inclined. Uh, thought that was pretty funny. I met my best friend, Cody, at a youth group at VCC. And, uh, which was eerie, because I met Cody about three months after Chris's passing. Cody has the same exact birthday as Chris. And we were kindred spirits. And I was like, I like this guy. And he's very, um, <laughs> gosh, how do you explain him? He has a lot of energy. And he doesn't care uh, what people think. And we, every Wednesday, we'd go with the youth group down to downtown Riverside, pass out tracks, 
and just preach apologetics to everybody that wanted to listen. Come on. Toe-to-toe. We had an answer for everything. That's just what we did. I met a girl and I fell in love, and her name was Sarah. She happened to be a devout Mormon. So, as we're going on with our relationship, which we both knew was a little wrong, okay, uh, we both agreed that the King James Version of the Bible was the inspired Word of God. So, I told her, if you can explain your entire faith using the King James, I'll become Mormon tomorrow. Why wouldn't I? Right? She said, deal. So we went to each other's church back and forth every week. Every time she had elders meet with me, I had two friends there as well. <laughs> Apologetics, man, let's go. Sibisa, where two or three are gathered, right? At the end of the year, Mark, we sat down. We were head over heels for each other, and neither person moved from their convictions. So we said goodbye. I chose God over love, which was against everything in my flesh. Sibisa, unequally yoked. Right? Somewhere in the Bible it says something about that. But it's true. Um, I wasn't one for memorizing tons of scripture. That came later in life with these other group of yahoos that I met. Um, hence the uh, somewhere in the Bible it says something. I put Sarah on a pedestal. But I knew that if I was meant to find true love, that that person would have to be everything Sarah was but sold out for the Lord. Upset at God for not letting that thing with Sarah work out, I had my own version of a rebellion. The Spirit sustained me. Um, but I was less than fruitful during that time. Can anybody relate? <laughs> Thank you. Backsliding is a thing, but the grace of God conquers all who are called. Amen? Okay. I met a different girl named Suzanne. She was a college volleyball player and coach. Ooh, easy. She asked me to coach with her, and I figured, ah, why not? If I can't play in college, then I might as well coach. Right? thought that was a, a different, new perspective. Um, do you remember that picture that God started to paint? Well, he just added another color, and I was clueless. I fell in love with coaching and virtually treated it like a ministry opportunity. I figured that it was easy to teach the skills of the sport but I could portray a positive male role model to these young girls' lives. This really became a passion, and I was good at it. It was around this time that the Spirit gave me 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it, serving one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It's just how I took it. I, stored it. I started to pour into my athletes, not just on the court, but also letting them know that they were loved in the good and in the bad. What I didn't realize was the correlation to the Heavenly Father's love to us. I will tell you, from an athlete's perspective, the game is seen one way. But from a coach's perspective, it's seen a completely different way. 
It's really an aha moment. As a new believer, we are fed milk and are taught biblical truths. As we grow and start eating the meat and potatoes of this faith, we are asked to practice these truths. And then when we become mature and have to teach these principles and trust that the Spirit will see it through. God grew a passion to coach out of a love of a sport for me. He poured into me, and I was able to pour into them. The next phase of my life led me to buying a house. I had all my friends move in, and they paid me rent. So I lived rent-free. Got a free house out of it. Thought I was smart. Um, My mom walked in on a Friday night once when everybody was gathered, and she was dumbfounded because there was a house full of teenage guys, 19 and 20-year-olds, playing cards and drinking soda. She thought that was weird. What can I say? We live differently. Right? We had fun. Um, My buddy Jason, who happened to live in my house, um, wouldn't let me hang out with his friends at Calvary Chapel, Moreno Valley. And I was like, what is this guy's problem? He was the oldest of seven, worship leader. But he wouldn't invite me to his friends. He would hang out at my house with my friends and we'd have a good time, good clean fun. But he wouldn't let me hang out with his. So I asked him, hey man, like, why aren't you letting me hang out with your friends? And he goes, I don't like how you talk. You cuss too much. Now a guy can take that lots of different ways. <laughs> Get really defensive really quick. Who are you? But I didn't. The, uh, the spirit quieted me. In, in Matthew twelve thirty three, talks about how words reveal our character. There's an entire four or five verse section in there. I left pondering how I could change my ways. I thought I was decently Christian. I was sorely mistaken. Jason was not spiteful. Okay, He expressed his conviction in love. It was my responsibility to change accordingly if I wanted to move forward with those relationships. So I did. Sabisa, iron sharpens iron. Right? The word... If you let it, will concrete itself inside you, but it will liquefy itself and come out if you let it. It's done that all through my life. I can't quote those Sabisa things. Like, right now I can't. But I know it's in there. Right? Because it's concreted in me. And when it needs to, it'll come out and remind me, okay, you're called by a different purpose. Watch it. I don't know how to stop that, gentlemen. Sorry. Then came the Colombian. (laughs) The Bostonian. There's a whole book about her called the Song of Solomon or something. I I don't know. Never read that one. I had to leave the country for a wife. 
No, not a mail-order bride. God had to orchestrate a trip, an encounter, a conversation, a decision, and ultimately a love. We met in Spain at Christmas time. Ask me to lunch, and I'll tell you a story. <laughs> I wanted her to visit for the summer, but she had one condition. Don't invite me to church. Okay. So I got all my friends together at the time, and I said, can we show her the, um, the love of Christ without inviting her to church? And they were like, yeah, for sure. And so I said, yeah, we'll do it. And I told her, okay, deal. You coming? She's coming. And so we did. And we had a decent summer. Um, still playing cards, drinking soda in my house. Um, and then there was a little event called the Harvest Crusade. Anybody know about that? So the Harvest Crusade, if you don't know about that, happens to be a Christian concert at a baseball stadium with Christian speakers, but it's not church. <laughs> That's what I told her. And I go, hey, you want to go? And she goes, yeah, I'll go. So all of our friends got together one night, and we went to the Harvest Crusade. Now, Pastor Greg Laurie, uh, at the end of his, has an invitation at the end of his talk, and asks whoever wants to come down and accept the Lord, right, give their lives to the Lord and whatever. So at the end of the night, when that happens, we're like, nothing. Stone. <laughs> Spirit's not talking. <laughs> and we were like, okay. So we leave the stadium. Um, Alan Brown happened to be working that night, and he goes, hey, Rand, I'm off tomorrow. Let's go again. Because back in those days, we went like all three or four nights. Like, we just, it was a party to us, right? And so we're like, all right, let's go again. So everybody hops in the car, and we go the very next night. At the end of that night, she stood up. And she started to walk down those steps. And I stopped her. Hey, you want me to go with you? She goes, nope. I'm not doing this for you. Amen. <laughs> See, I knew I'd get an amen out of that. And I said, good. And she, and she went down there all by herself. Okay? And she accepted the Lord on that field that night. And we were crying in the stands, praying for her. And she came back up, and I thought she was going to have a million questions for me, right? I'm like, let's go. This is what God trained me for. She didn't even turn to me. Went to my friends. So what are the rules of this thing? Because to the world, in honest eyes, is black and white. What do I got to do? Because now I'm this thing. And so they told me. And she did it. And she ran with Jesus. I've never met anybody in my life ever give their life to God and run with the Lord like she did. It's impressive. She read the entire New Testament three weeks and she can memorize like the best of them. So I was like, cool. Sibi <laughs> says something. Um, it, it, was, it was awesome. It was awesome to watch. Um... 
Colossians 3 comes to mind when I think about that time, about putting on the new self. All of that chapter. We were married shortly thereafter because once she said yes to the Lord, Sarah became a distant memory. Because she was exactly sold out. Like my heart wanted. Um, you remember my desires in my heart? I wanted to be a young dad. In walks Silas. Pretty quick thereafter. I was young, full of energy, and had a son. God honored his scriptures, although I'm not sure how I did. It's still crazy to think how God put that whole story together. But wait till I tell you the next part. Remember I was coaching girls volleyball at the club level? Well, that led me to coaching a varsity program at Riverside Christian High School. It happened to be located directly behind CBU's baseball field. When I was at practice one day, this six-foot-one blonde woman who happened to be like a campus aide walked in and was staring at my practice. And I'm like, And after practice, she approached me and she's like, you should play. I was 22 years old. I'm like, what do you mean I should play? Coaching. That's what God has me doing. And she go, and I said, like, well, what do you know about it? Right? She goes, well, I happen to be a Division I All-American, and I played for the University of Hawaii. And my husband's the head men's volleyball coach at Cal Baptist. And I was like, oh, okay. So you have some credentials. And I was like, I mean, that's cool. But I got a wife, I got a house, I got a six-month-old, and I got a career, right? And she was like, well, I can probably set it up so you can practice with a team. And I was like, eh, all right. All right, I'll try. So she sets it up. And I went and I practiced with a team. At the end of that practice, the coach pulled me aside, and he goes, I'd love to have you. A five foot ten, nothing of a guy was being asked to play college volleyball. And all that flooded me was Psalm 37. He will give you the desires of your heart if you do this and this. And I didn't know how I did that or that. I'm assuming I did according to his purpose. I still don't know. And I'll ask those questions later. But he honored his words. Um, it was an amazing moment. Hold on. I always thought, oh, I'm sorry. This is a part I really wanted to punch. There's an old prosperity adage. Okay. That says that God won't just give you what you need, but that he'll overflow your cup. Anybody hear something to that effect? Okay. Not necessarily true, because I searched the scriptures for that. And Anna was like, yeah, dude, that's not in it. You're mixing two different things, dude. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, somebody said somewhere. Um, and I always thought that that happened to other people, not me. Well, during my second year on the team, I was voted captain. I was not a starter. I was not a star. Okay? 
but the team thought that I could lead by example. When we got to the national championship tournament, we played like a well-oiled machine. Like there was no stopping us, and we were beating people left and right. At 3.30 in the morning, the night before we were supposed to play in our semifinals match, my coach calls my hotel room. Yes? Meet me in the hallway. Yes, coach. Go out to the hallway. He hands me his coaching folder and a set of keys. And he said, win me a national championship, take me to the airport. Excuse me? His wife was in labor with their first child. So he chose them over the most pinnacle moment in his career. And he handed me his folder and he said to win him a national championship. (laughs) What? There's no way you can write that story. I took him to the airport. He was at the birth of his first child. And I went on that day to coach and play in the semifinals match. And we won. And now we're in the finals. And I had him on the phone. No joke, this was hilarious. I had him on the phone and I said, hold on, this is happening, this is happening. Hold on. Sub myself in, go serve, play, sub myself on, or off the court. And this is what happened. It was crazy. Super crazy. Um... Later that day, I coached and played and won our match. God was preparing me for years for this moment. I had no idea. He overflowed my cup because we ended up winning that national championship. And it was simply incredible. Now I could live the rest of my life believing that the whole reason that I was at CBU was for God to give me what I wanted. But that would be incredibly selfish. And foolish to think. Ephesians 1.11 says, Also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. Nowhere in there did it say, For Randy's heart's desires, I need to... Not at all. He happened to make it work out. But there was way more at stake there. For me being on that campus for three semesters. I didn't get a degree. I played volleyball for two seasons. I met the man that knocked me off my apologetic rocker. Dr. H. Bruce Stokes. He wasn't interested in the argument. He wasn't interested... He was interested in the word and God's character. Huh? Did make sense to me. I watched him go toe-to-toe against bat students... David Blair, being primary at, at his moment, it was impressive to watch, and to no avail. The Q&As I figured would annihilate him. Nope. I had to hear more. It's funny, some things that I remember him saying from those days, like, we are God's Special Olympics team. And I don't remember being born, but there's pretty good evidence that I was. And I don't remember being born again, but there's pretty good evidence that I was. I wrote that down 20 years ago when I heard it. I could go on and on. And when we were invited to the D.C., I was home. 
I church taught my whole life. But I knew that there was something deeper to this 2,000-year-old faith that we had. And I found it. The meat and potatoes of the word was here, and I never looked back. The practicing of rituals in hopes of understanding God's character better. The struggling with how to do the word within our gates. The purposeful instructing of our kids. Speaking of which, I only had one. Sibisa, something about a quiver. I begged and begged Anna for another child. 1 Peter 3.7 says, Live with your wife in an understanding way so your prayers won't be hindered. So I had to start like doing what she said. The Lord heard my call, and he gave us sorn. We were complete. The gist of my focus became, get your heart right, then your outward right, then your household, then the community, and then the world. Game on. I can do that. So to conclude, I'll leave you with some of my life's favorite passages. Some guy named Ralph Waldo Emerson once wrote a quote that was made famous by the great lyricist Steven Tyler from the band Aerosmith. Life's a journey, not a destination. Our society inundates us with the projection of getting somewhere, but the Bible teaches us to seek wisdom. Solomon, who is a titan in our faith, and is also considered the Koheleth. Anybody know that? Oh, I taught you something. Hebrew word, Koheleth, means preacher. It's who they talk about wrote the uh, Ecclesiastes. Yes. He gave us these words in Ecclesiastes 7.25. I directed my mind to know, to investigate, and to seek wisdom and an explanation, and to know the evil of folly and the foolishness of madness. I take no joy in trying to reinvent the wheel. I'd rather learn from those that have come before me. I've always felt that way. I don't need to be a maverick trailblazer. Another simple truth that Solomon said was Ecclesiastes 3.12, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is a gift from God. It is the gift of God. Two more and then we're out of here. Galatians 6, nine says, And let us not lose heart in doing good. It goes on to say, So then, while we have opportunity, let us, to do, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Okay? And in closing, Titus 3, 1. Remind them, so I'm reminding you, to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for men, even on the 91. For we also once were foolish ourselves. Let's pray. Dear 